you. To see you too. How have you been? Very busy. <laughs> I know it's a really busy time. I'm excited to hear all about it. I know people are very familiar with your work as executive director of the Mean Jewish Film Festival. Um, fewer people, I think, know about your extensive academic background, that you come to us with an MBA from Columbia University, that you went to um, Hebrew Union College and received an MA in Jewish education, um, and recently that you completed a PhD in um, educational leadership at Leslie, which is pretty amazing. I thought we could start just by talking about how um, all of that rich knowledge base contributes to the work you do with MJFF and also how you came to Maine in the first place. Sure. Um, believe it or not, you actually missed a degree. Um, oh my goodness! I have three masters. I, the the other one is in in English from SUNY Stony Brook. Oh. That, that was when I was right out of of undergraduate work, and I was actually in a PhD program at that point, and decided I need to to see more of the world before I. Um, committed to academia, and I didn't go back, as you can see, for quite some time. <laughs> but, uh, you made it back, you made it back. <laughs> eventually, I made it back to a PhD program. But but um, so people actually often think it's very amusing that I, ha I have one master's is in English literature, one is in finance and accounting, and one is in religious education. And I often get asked the question, so that how did you get to all those different places? Um, and um, it, it's interesting because actually they were all very relevant um, at different points in my career, but also um, now I use them all and, and the PhD in educational leadership. It's all part of what I do. I'm a lifelong learner. I like to learn. And um, so, so I guess there were probably other ways I could have gotten the skills, but I actually like academics. So I went to, to school and got degrees. It's amazing. It's really, it's something to be very proud of. And I'm sure you do use, use and draw on that knowledge in many ways. Um, when you came to Maine, did you plan to work for MJFF or were you here when you when you no, started yeah, to do that I plan to work for I plan to move to Maine. I've lived in the New York area or in New York City for for you know most of my life I would say I did go to school in Boston but but um when my son left home um we my husband and I kind of looked at each other and said we don't have to live here anymore. When we were thinking about where would we like to live we said you know we've always liked coming to Maine. Um, in particular, I'm a city girl and my husband is a country boy and Portland is great for that. It's true. You really can have both. I mean, I'm sitting here looking at the woods outside my window, but I'm 15 minutes from the city. And so we decided to move here. Um, and then I decided to look for a job. Luckily, I was able to find a job with the Maine Jewish Film Festival, um, which really suited my interests and my talents and, and worked out really great. In fact, it's such a good fit that people often think that I moved here for the job. But in fact, that's not true. <laughs> Just worked out. That's amazing. That's out. great. <laughs> so often I think it, people's stories in Portland are like that, that things really just fall together somehow this is the right place for someone to be and then opportunities present themselves. But the film festival has, has certainly enriched the um, region in so many different ways. I know people often have questions about how 
films are chosen, what the process is like. Can you talk about that, how it works and how your screening committee gathers? Yes. Um, first of all, I'm just going to say up front that every film festival is different um, and has a different process for this. I, this I've been involved in a few of them, and um, I think that the main process is great process. Um, so we have a screening committee, usually has between, let's say, 12 and 15 people on it. It's very diverse. It's diverse in age. It's diverse in ethnicity. It's diverse in just about every way that you can imagine. Um, And that's good because it reflects our audience. We look at what is being shown around the country. um, And we do that partially by looking at what other Jewish film festivals have shown, and partially because there are certain distributors that deal with material for that that is likely to be appealing to Jewish film festivals, and they send out promotional emails. and And you know, individual film festivals and individual filmmakers also sometimes send us material. So we have sort of a body of things that we can look at, um, and we requisition links. And then we have a something called the tracker, which is really a big Google doc. And um, we put the links up on the tracker and we say to the screening committee members, go look. We do expect our screening committee members to look at a lot of films, which means that they see a lot of good films, but it also means that they see a lot of bad films (laughs) because there are a lot of bad films out there. And um, so we do have a rule that says 20 minutes into the film, if you wish you had that 20 minutes of your life back, you don't have to spend any more time on it. Um, So on this big Google doc, um, the members of the committee write reviews of each film. And um, Melinda, the chair of the committee, and I look at all of this. We decide what films we need to see personally. Um, I will say Melinda watches almost everything, good, bad, whatever. She's amazing. <laughs> but I have a, a sort of more of a limit to, to what I feel like I can watch. But, um, you know, there's sometimes you can look at a film, what people have said about a film and say, no brainer, we're going to show this. Yeah. And sometimes you can look at what people have said about a film and say, no brainer, we're never going to show this. But there is, you know, there definitely are films in the middle where some people really liked it, some people didn't like it. You know, we look at balance. We try to look at balance between documentaries and features, although there are always more documentaries than features. It's just the nature of of film. Um, We try to get a balance between of, of countries. You know, we don't want every film from the United States. We don't want every film from Israel. We don't want every film from Germany. We want we want a mix. And um, so so there are a lot of different considerations that go into it. For the most part, we are looking for material that's thematically Jewish, but not always. If we feel that it's an important issue for the Jewish community or an important human issue, um, if the filmmaker is Jewish sometimes, um, there may not be overt Jewish material, but we feel that, that it's a good film to show. There are a lot of different reasons why we might or might not pick a film. When we were doing in-person 
festivals, we were our goal was about 35 films. Okay. Our virtual festival is about 15 because it, it it's just the capacity of people to watch on a screen is just less than than if you're you're doing it live. Um, so that's sort of an overview. Um, the screening committee does meet or did meet um, when we were having physical <laughs> meetings, right. um, particularly to talk about some of the, the more controversial films or, or to, to just get a sense of how everybody was feeling about the group of films in general. Um, and I'll probably say this a few times during this conversation, we're really grateful for the volunteers who give their time to, like I said, they, they watch good films, but they also watch bad films and they, and they really are very conscientious and very um, thoughtful about their reviews. It's amazing. How, how big is that Google Doc? How many films do you usually have to get to 30 in a regular year? Um, in a regular year, I'd say between 100 and 150. Wow. That, yeah, that is remarkable. It's a, a lot of movies. Films. And, yeah. and sometimes, you know, it, it, timing is everything. There's a period of time when we are intensely looking for films. And then sometimes something really good comes in after that period of time. And we'll say, no, you know, we, we've already made our decisions, but it's a great film. We'll hold it for next year. Oh, that's nice too. So there's yeah. some flexibility so, there. So, yeah. Are there um, movies that work particularly well or themes that work particularly well here in Portland are, is it different than other places, do you think, in, in any particular ways? So for, I've been involved with a couple of other Jewish film festivals. The Westchester one was one and also one in Stanford, Connecticut, which was really only a mile from my house in, in, in Westchester. And I would say there are some differences. First of all, every audience is different. And, and when we look at what other film Jewish film festivals show, there are some films that they show that are committee absolutely hated and we would never show. And I'm sure it's vice versa. There are films that we show that they would have never shown. And, and every so every community is different for sure, just to start with. The main community is different from the other ones that I've been involved in, in that it's not all Jewish. In Westchester and in Stanford, there's a large enough Jewish community so that those film festivals by and large are, are supported by the Jewish community, watched by the Jewish community. And there's not a lot of outreach beyond that because there doesn't need to be. Here in Maine, we could not exist if only the Jewish community watched our films. Um, and we've done surveys after the last five festivals and consistently our audience is 50% not identified as Jewish. It's a little different in that we feel that we're getting much more of a cross section of the community as opposed to just being specifically focused on the Jewish community. Does that change your mission in any ways in terms of thinking about how the films you're choosing are speaking to some, a pretty significant percentage of, of the non-Jewish community about Judaism, about Israel, about Jews? So I don't think it changes our mission. I mean, our mission is, is to enrich, educate, and entertain a diverse audience by using films that, that um, focus on the global Jewish experience. What we do think about frequently is what kind of program do we need with this film 
so that people maybe who are not familiar with the ultra-Orthodox community in Israel, just as an example, will understand more about the background of the film. For our virtual festival, we're showing a film called The Other Story, which takes place in Israel and is um, about the contrast of the ultra-Orthodox community and the secular Israeli community, particularly around family issues. If you don't know that much about the ultra-Orthodox community in Israel, um, there are some things in that film that perhaps will be a little more difficult to understand. So we are having a discussion afterwards where we can give some background. And, and actually, um, uh, Rabbi Shruli Dresner and Lisa Meyer are, the, are our commentary people. And I think they're kind of uniquely situated to be able to do that. I think we have a pretty good idea of, of what people in Maine would like to see. Very often, it's not a question of what Jewish people would like to see or what non-Jewish people would like to see. It's just, what is it a good film? Is it interesting? Does it stimulate thought? I would say in general, main audiences like to think. Well, you've alluded to the, the virtual festival and I wanna hear more about that. Um, but normally the festival occurs in, in the spring and was about to occur just as coronavirus arrived. Um, can you talk about that period of time and some of the hard decisions you had to make um, during that period. Sure. I, I mean, so I'm going to try to do this without using that most overused word pivot. Um, but, um, so two weeks before the March festival, things were going really well for that March festival. The box office was booming and everybody was really excited about it. And two weeks before, um, of course, everything got closed down and we had to close down as well. Um, so after, you know, sort of recovering a little bit and taking a deep breath, I looked at the films we were going to show and said, you know, um, why don't we give a virtual showing a try. Um, we had, uh, the first film that we showed virtually was the film about um, Fiddler on the Roof. And that was a film that was gonna go to an online platform. And, you know, it, it, it sort of had an expiration date on it, we felt for a festival. So it said, you know what? We've already paid for this film. Let me talk to the distributor and see if they'll let me show it online. And um, after a bit of back and forth, because they hadn't done this before either, um, they said, sure, we'll, we'll give it a try. And then I reached out to one of the, the actor who was going to speak with the film and said, would you do a Zoom conversation? Um, and we hadn't done that before either. <laughs> um, <laughs> So we gave it a try, we, and we had no idea whether this was going to be appealing or not. And we had over 500 households sign up for it, and it was a huge success. Um, we felt really strongly that at that point, um, we felt terrible that people had bought tickets and we had to cancel. So we said, fine, we'll, do, we'll show it for free, and you know, hopefully this is, will be good for our audience. And as I said, we got such a good response that we said, oh, this is pretty good. We can keep doing this. We felt it was a way of giving back to our audience who were really wonderful and loyal and 
very appreciative of what we were doing. We realized that if we were going to do this seriously, we had to get a platform, a streaming platform. Yep. And, and this is an evolution, I think, that, that many film festivals have gone through. We did get um, a grant from, it was a, a joint grant from the Humanities Council and the Maine uh, Arts Commission that supported some of those, those films. So that was also really nice. Um, and we felt that we were building loyalty. And I have to say that everything that's happened this fall in terms of our fall appeal and also in terms of support for the virtual festival says that, that um, it was not only the right thing to do from a sort of ethical point of view, it was also a good thing to do in terms of supporting the organization. Well, and now you're pivoting to actually holding a festival but doing it entirely virtually. I'm sure there are lots of logistical challenges around that, but it sounds like you've you've had time to plan a lot of them. Tell us about what you have in store. Sure. One of, interestingly, one of the things that we discovered is it, when we first started to do these online showings, we got a lot of questions from our audience who had never streamed films before. But at this point, the questions we're now getting are far more sophisticated. Now people, everybody wants to know, well, how can I get it onto my Roku? <laughs> As opposed to how do I actually get this? Sign in, right. Yeah. yeah. The way that we are doing this is through a streaming platform. Um, so it's very seamless. Um, you go into to one site, you can sign up for the films, you can watch the films and the link for the conversation, if there is going to be a conversation with the film, is going to be there. Again, you know, we're looking for, for different topics. We're looking for, for a combination of documentaries and features. Um, we also, there, one of our films is ca called The Sublet. Um, this is the latest film of a very well-known Israeli filmmaker, Eitan Fuchs. Um, he's a wonderful filmmaker. This is a wonderful film. Since we had shown our opening night film, um, which was the Fiddler film from March already, we felt like we, we, we wanted something to make a big splash. So we thought we would show this film. And again, this is a film that's likely to go to platforms. So better to show it now than, than to wait. One of the nice things about being virtual is that filmmakers in general are much more willing to do Zoom conversations than to take the time to actually fly to Portland. So uh, yeah, so we were able to get many of the filmmakers to do conversations with us. We're also really excited because we are going to do one live stream concert. And we are also working with the PSO on our, our film about Zubin Mehta. That was always planned, actually. That was planned for March originally. Um, and hopefully they will also be giving me a link to some music to go with that one as well. So we're, we're trying to do as much as we can through a virtual platform. Um, we did do a big survey over the summer of our audience and the feedback we got was, yes, please make it virtual. Nobody really wanted to do it in person at this point. So we're trying to do as much as possible to, to make it like, uh, you know, the, to have the excitement of a festival, but to do it virtually. 
It's really exciting to see how it's coming together. And I think the, the tertiary and supportive additional events will be really fun for people to experience um, virtually and to see how that works and how it feels. Um, I've been astonished to see the numbers of people signing up for things virtually throughout the summer. I think it's so exciting. And it, it is. We're meeting people where they are. Um, I know you've in the past had several days where people could watch films. Will that be the case during yes. the festival? Okay. Yes. What we decided to do was we, first of all, we expanded the festival to a two week period total because we felt that people had screen fatigue, uh, you know, and, and we wanted to, so we wanted to spread it out a little bit. We could have made all of the films available for the whole two week period. We decided not to do that because it, you really want to have people make a date with the yeah. film, so to speak. Um, so we divided the the viewing period and we have three day viewing periods for each film. Um, and sometime during the course of that viewing period, we have a discussion. Um, the discussion is also viewable by the people who've bought tickets outside of that viewing period. So, so that, you know, it's, it, you don't have to go to the discussion live. You can if you want, but you don't have to. Um, and we felt that, that that way people would make a decision. I'm going to see that film. There's options. You don't have to see it at a particular time on a particular day, but um, you can't just wait till the end of the festival and say, whoops, I meant to see all 15 films. I'm going to watch them now. <laughs> Like everything else with this virtual festival, we are learning on the job <laughs> and, you know, we will certainly do a survey after the festival and for the next one, we will learn from, from what we've done. That's great. Um, I, you've alluded to the role of streaming services a little bit, and, and I know there's a, certainly a lot more Israeli content available to Americans right now than, than ever before um, through some of these services. And we've seen this incredible um, media storm around Steisel and Unorthodox this year and um, Fauda, I think, to a lesser extent, but also these sort of procedurals um, and action shows. Can you talk about how those are playing out, how people are connecting with them, if you have a sense of, um, of how that relates to the films that you're picking or people's growing awareness of just as the, the art form of film and TV in Israel? I would say, first of all, in general, as I said before, um, people are getting much more sophisticated about what's out there, what's available, streaming, being able to do it, so just in general, I would say that people are, are, are watching more that way because they have to. People are looking for something that interests them and for something to talk about. And I think particularly Stissel, that, that was a, something that people talked about. And I, I think that that's part of the appeal. Well, you're navigating it really expertly so far. So we're, we're so grateful. I think um, I've heard some people talking about the way that binge watching shows is more akin to watching film too. And that hopefully the interest in, in TV, when you're watching in this manner, where you're watching for three hours or four hours, will, will translate into some more awareness of the value of longer form presentations and film in general. I mean, we've been offered... TV shows to show as part of the festival. We've always shied away from that because in a live festival, it's very hard to do that. It, yeah. it, 
it just takes too much time. And then if you like leave people with a cliffhanger, they're mad at you. <laughs> so yeah. we don't want to do that. Um, and now I would say, I'm not sure I would do that because it's, it's already out there. Right. We're looking for things that, that people, um, you know, can come to us for that it doesn't duplicate what else is, is available. Barbara, I know you, among all the other things that you do, you've been a host of Sunday Simcha on WMPG, the radio show. Um, people are looking still for, for comfort and for connection in a variety of ways. Um, and I'm wondering if you have recommendations for, for films or for media or for you know what you're turning to for, for comfort and inspiration during this time. Um, okay, so first of all, unfortunately, um, since WMPG is part of USM and USM is not allowing non-students on campus, I have not been able to do the radio show for quite since March, really. Um, as some of the volunteer DJs have been producing shows from home. I just have not had the time to do that. Maybe after the festival, we'll see. <laughs> Um, but I will say that um, I have, I, I, I feel that music is a great comfort and I have done quite a bit of listening and sort of storing up music for when I can do shows again. Um, as I think you know, also, I'm an avid um, Israeli dancer and um, folk dancer in general um, and belly dancer. And I'm happy to say that all of those things are very much available online. Um, and it really has been a sanity keeper for me, um, particularly if there's a, you know, a dance form that you wanted to explore more, but were restricted because you, you couldn't find a class in your area. Well, you know what, that restriction is gone. And that was, uh, I had not actually gone to an Israeli dance session for quite some time because there weren't any here unless I wanted to run them. Right. <laughs> um, but, um, but now I can go dancing in Boston and Chicago and I've been doing quite a bit of that. I've been learning lots and lots of dances. I can't wait to go back to teaching dances because I feel like I've been so enriched by everybody else's sessions. So oh, that's exciting. Yeah, that's how, that's how I've been sort of keeping myself busy and together. <laughs> I always wanted to learn to play the dumbek or, you know, the uh, Middle Eastern drum, um, tambura, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Um, and I've been doing that as well, because you can certainly do, do that um, via Zoom. Again, you know, I think that this is a great time to sort of indulge your, your learning passions. Mm -hmm. And as I said at the very beginning of this talk, I'm a lifelong learner. Um, so it, it's, it, there's a lot of stuff out there um, and it's really just a question of finding it and taking advantage of it. That's such an inspiring way to close. Thank you so much, Barbara. We're really excited for the festival this year and to continue to um, be enriched by all the, all the movies and all the activities that you're putting out there. I think I would be remiss if I didn't say, first of all, I don't think I mentioned the dates of the festival. So it's November 7th through 22nd. Um, and also if you want information, um, the easiest way to do that is to go to our website, www.mjff.org. Wonderful. Thanks again, Barbara. Okay, thank you. So nice to see you. Bye. Bye-bye. 
This episode was produced by Sarah Richardson, music by Dustin Lavasser. Visit our website at mainjewish.org. For questions and comments, feel free to email us at jca at mainjewish.org.